Welcome to the Michigan Constitution Podcast, where the citizens of the Mitten State seek the pleasant peninsula between their state and federal identities through a deeper understanding of how Michigan's Constitution and its defining case law affects their everyday lives. Your host, Tony Snyder, is a licensed Michigan attorney with more than a decade of experience in private and government practice. Through this podcast, you'll better understand the unique characteristics of Michigan's supreme law and probably learn a few fun facts about federalism, too. And now, here's Tony. Welcome back to episode 17 of the Michigan Constitution podcast. We've already discussed the idea of the right to bear arms, self-defense, and using a firearm while committing a felony. And we also spoke about the right to own and possess stun guns. But what about if you're a felon and you want to possess a gun? This concept is going to be discussed more in depth, but first, your spoonful of legalese. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The purpose of this podcast is merely to teach you what's in the Michigan Constitution. Each podcast will review a different article section, we'll talk about what it means, and we'll review Michigan case law, which helps us to better understand the effects of those constitutional provisions. Here's what the podcast is not. It is not legal advice. It is not legal expertise. Although I am a licensed attorney in the state of Michigan, I make no warranties as to the veracity of the statements I make within this podcast. First of all, I don't practice constitutional law, I practice administrative law. Second, the laws change on a day-to-day basis, as does case law. What might be applicable the day I make a statement about the Michigan Constitution could very well be outdated the day I post the podcast. If you think you're going to become a Michigan constitutional scholar because of my podcast, you're sadly mistaken. You'd do better with a Ouija board and a Magic 8 ball. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you need Michigan legal advice, you would be well served to contact the State Bar of Michigan and ask for their lawyer referral service program for a referral to an attorney who specializes in your legal matter. Our next case, People v. Swint, a 1997 Michigan Court of Appeals case, is a pretty big case. And I say that from the standpoint of a lot of cases seem to rest upon this specific case. In Michigan, there's a law called felon in possession of a firearm. And it's exactly what it sounds like. A person, if a person is convicted of a felony, depending on what that felony is, the person may be permanently prohibited from ever owning a gun again. Or that person may be prohibited from owning a gun for a certain number of years. Like I said, it's based on the felony for which they were convicted. I'm not going to get into which felonies equal which degrees of years. The fact of the matter is, if you have a felony conviction, you are prohibited from possessing a gun for some amount of time. In 1995, while on probation for felonious assault, Mr. Swint allegedly handled a rifle while at his home and in the presence of his baby mama and kid. The baby mama testified at trial that she and Mr. Swint argued that day that he was suicidal, that he had a rifle in his hands, which he would cradle in his arms, and that he'd hold it up to his head and wanted to kill himself and that he'd kill himself if his baby mama ever left him. Baby Mama successfully calls the police for fear of her, the kid, and Mr. Swint's life. The police arrive, and Mr. Swint eventually throws the rifle out the back door and exits the house, only to be arrested. The question asked of this court of appeals is whether or not the prohibition of possessing a gun by felony convicts is a violation of the Michigan Constitution's Article 1, Section 6. 
they ruled it is not a violation of the Michigan Constitution. The Michigan Court of Appeals starts off by explaining that this specific case that we're reviewing right now was the first time they ever had to determine whether prohibiting a person convicted of a felony from owning a gun was a violation of the right to bear arms. So they looked at the state of Connecticut because their right to bear arms provision within the Connecticut Constitution is word for word the same as our Michigan Constitution. Our Court of Appeals agreed with the Connecticut Supreme Court's ruling when a felon in possession law was challenged in Connecticut. The Connecticut Supreme Court had this to say about the right to bear arms. The limiting language of the provision, that is, quote, in defense of himself and the state, quote, may be understood to establish two related principles. First, it demonstrates that the bearing of arms is not valued in and of itself, but only as a means to particular ends. Second, it clearly indicates what purposes are not accorded explicit constitutional protection, the bearing of arms for any purpose other than defense of oneself or the state. And the Michigan Court of Appeals really liked that mindset, so much so they adopted it here in this case. But they are quick to point out that Mr. Swint wasn't alleging he had a right to defend himself. Mr. Swint's argument was he was being denied the right to bear arms for any and all purposes. Interestingly, the Michigan Court of Appeals in this 1997 case says that whether Mr. Swint can possess a gun for the purposes of defending himself is a constitutionally unanswered question. So stay tuned. But back to our case and our fact pattern at hand. Here, the Michigan Court of Appeals notes that Article 1, Section 6 ensures a Michigan citizen's right to bear arms and then uses a legal dictionary to define the word arms, which reads as follows. Anything that a man wears for his defense or takes in his hands as a weapon. Therefore, and follow me on this, the Court of Appeals said this felon in possession law only prevents a felon's possession of a firearm, but it is silent as to other weapons. In theory, the court says, this law doesn't prevent a felon the right to bear arms for their protection. It just prevents a felon from bearing firearms for their protection. So perhaps a bat or bow and arrow, I guess. The Michigan Court of Appeals went back to the Connecticut Supreme Court decision, which noted, as long as our citizens have available to them some type of weapon that are adequate to the right to bear arms in self-defense, the state may prohibit the possession of other weapons without infringing on the constitutional right to bear arms. As such, the Michigan Court of Appeals ruled that the constitutional right to bear arms contained in Article 1, Section 6 does not guarantee defendant the right to possess a firearm after defendant is convicted of a felony. But wait, there's more! The Michigan Court of Appeals also said that this temporary restriction on a felon from owning firearms was well within the Michigan legislature's police powers to protect the health, safety, and welfare of Michigan citizens, which, you'll remember, was first laid out to us in the 1931 case of People v. Brown when they upheld the prohibition of ownership on blackjacks. Our Court of Appeals here said that the felon in possession prohibition is aimed at protecting the public from guns in the hands of convicted felons, whether those weapons are concealed or not. 
The legislature has made the determination that felons are individuals who have exhibited their disregard for ordered society and post a threat to public safety. The court opined that this law effectively achieved the legitimate legislative purpose of keeping guns out of the hands of those most likely to use them against the public. For that reason, the Michigan Court of Appeals held that the felon in possession statute did not run afoul of the Michigan Constitution's Article 1, Section 6 provision. All right, our next case, People v. Dupree, a 2010 Michigan Supreme Court case, is a good one. Because you'll remember, I mentioned just a few moments ago about how the Michigan Court of Appeals noted it's unknown whether a felon in possession of a firearm could legally defend himself. Well, it may have taken 13 years, but the Michigan Supreme Court answered that question in this case. This is a fun fact pattern and pretty lengthy, so stick with me. It's 2005, and defendant Roberto Marcello Dupree was on probation for having committed a felony a few years back. He's also over at his brother's house for a birthday party. Also at the birthday party is Mr. Dupree's 24-year-old niece and the niece's 24-year-old boyfriend. When the party was ending, defendant Dupree and the 24-year-old boyfriend began arguing on the front porch of the house. The argument devolved into Mr. Dupree shooting the niece's boyfriend three times. But, of course, there are two sides to every story. Here's the boyfriend story. Demond Reeves, the 24-year-old boyfriend, testified at trial that Defendant Dupree directed an expletive at him and was shoved by Defendant Dupree for no reason. <laughs> it's always for no reason. Boyfriend Reeves also testified that he and Defendant Dupree fought until Dupree left the fight, went inside, and returned with a gun. Boyfriend Reeves stated Dupree shot him three times as they continued to struggle from the uh, front yard to the street. When the niece testified at trial against her uncle, she said she tried to break up the fight between her uncle and her boyfriend. She testified her uncle struck her in the face with the gun. As she went inside to call the police, she heard a shot. She came outside and heard another shot. She went back inside and heard a third shot. And now, the defendant's side of the story. Mr. Dupree and two other bystanders testified that the altercation began when boyfriend Reeves shoved his girlfriend's mother off the porch. Mr. Dupree told boyfriend Reeves not to disrespect the mother of his girlfriend and asked Reeves to leave. This is when the fight between defendant Dupree and boyfriend Reeves began. Testimony also revealed that during the fight, boyfriend Reeves' shirt got pulled up, exposing a gun in the waistband of Reeves' pants. Defendant Dupree said he feared for his life because Reeves was larger than Dupree, and word is the boyfriend was in excess of 300 pounds. He was also inebriated and armed. Defendant Dupree stated boyfriend Reeves went for his gun and that Dupree ha got access to and grabbed the gun first to protect himself. As the two men struggled over the gun, Dupree shot Reeves three times. Reeves, while continuing to fight, said, quote, I'm hit. To which Dupree responded, quote, just stop, let me go. 
Defendant Dupree subsequently got in his car and left, throwing the gun out the window after he had or was some distance from the house. One more bit about the fact pattern I think is important to know. There were a few questions left unanswered in the minds of the Michigan Supreme Court justices. They did not know whether boyfriend Reeves remained in the vicinity of the house before Dupree left the scene. They also didn't know at what point Reeves no longer posed a threat to defendant Dupree, particularly because the testimony suggested that Reeves continued to challenge defendant for possession of the gun even after he had been shot three times. Mr. Dupree is subsequently charged under the felon in possession criminal charge, but during his trial, he makes a self-defense argument. This case makes its way from the trial court to the Court of Appeals and ultimately to the Michigan Supreme Court. And here's where it gets interesting. All seven of the Michigan Supreme Court justices agree that self-defense is a defense against the charge of felon in possession. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that the defendant automatically wins. It just means that the defendant has to convince a jury the reason why he had a gun was because he legitimately feared for his safety and well-being. The reason the justices could all coalesce around this defense is because under common law, which is old English law before we started officially writing and passing laws, under common law, we have always allowed self-defense to be argued by a defendant. Now, for the most part, all common law has been eradicated because almost every law known to man has been made into a statute written and passed by the legislature. But the Supreme said, absent some clear indication that the legislature modified the traditional common law of self-defense for the felon in possession charge, this court presumes that self-defense remains an available defense if supported by sufficient evidence, and the sufficiency of that evidence will be determined by a jury. The Michigan Supreme Court looked to the states of Tennessee, Indiana, and Minnesota all who have a right to bear arms provision in their state constitution, but also have a felon in possession prohibition. Those states allow for a defense of self-defense by the felon if the felon honestly and reasonably believes his life is in imminent danger or that there is such a threat of serious bodily harm and that it is necessary to exercise deadly force to prevent such harm to himself. In this case... The Michigan Supreme Court found there was sufficient evidence supporting a jury's instruction on common law self-defense. Mr. Dupree, the court ruled, had presented evidence from which a jury could find, and to be clear, the jury did find, that Mr. Dupree acted in self-defense when he struggled over the gun with boyfriend Reeves and ultimately shot Reeves three times. The court agreed defendant Dupree introduced evidence from which a jury could conclude that his possession of the firearm was justified because he honestly and reasonably believed that his life was in imminent danger and that it was necessary for him to exercise force to protect himself. For that reason, the Michigan Supreme Court found that although the felon in possession criminal charge isn't unconstitutional, the Michigan Constitution does allow a felon to possess a firearm for only the purposes of protecting himself, and even then, that's for a jury to decide if it was necessary for the felon to protect himself.
our next case, People versus Brady, a 2017 not reported court of appeals case. My main reason for reviewing this last case for today's podcast is because it seems to take almost all the cases we've discussed up to now and roll them into one court opinion. Defendant Brady was convicted of felon in possession of a firearm, carrying a concealed weapon, and possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony. Defendant argues Michigan's felon in possession statute is unconstitutional because it deprives an individual of his right to possess firearms for any purpose, including self-defense. The Court of Appeals disagreed. The Court of Appeals started off by quoting our Yana case, whereby they remind us the Michigan Constitution grants individuals a right to keep and bear arms for self-defense. Next, they went over to the Powell case and remind us that at the state level, The Michigan Court of Appeals has already acknowledged that the right to bear arms under the Second Amendment is not unlimited. The Court of Appeals judges stated that exceptions to the right to bear arms include regulations of gun possession by felons, and that the Michigan Court of Appeals has noted that the Second Amendment does not bar certain firearm restrictions, such as those that prevent felons or the mentally ill from possessing firearms. They then circled around to our Swint case, by pointing out that the court has long upheld the constitutionality of the felon in possession statute under the Michigan Constitution on the grounds that even if it infringed on one's right to bear arms, the statute is a reasonable regulation by the state in the exercise of its police power to protect the health, safety, and welfare of Michigan citizens. Is a lot of this starting to sound familiar? They said that in light of cases like Swint, and the Supreme Court of the United States Heller case. There are clearly circumstances in which felon and possession prohibitions are constitutionally valid in our state constitution's Article 1, Section 6. The court then pivots over to our Dupree case, where they point out the Michigan Supreme Court held in that case common law self-defense is a valid defense to the charge of felon and possession of a firearm. Sure, the Michigan Supreme Court may not have addressed the constitutionality of quote-unquote felon in possession charge, but the Supreme Court justices did say a felon may possess a firearm specifically for self-defense. But here in our case, apparently Mr. Brady was not possessing a firearm for self-defense, but merely under some hypothetical future need of self-defense. Because the Swint case found a right to bear arms is not an absolute right, there are reasonable restrictions the legislature may place against gun possession, and prohibiting a felon from being in possession of a firearm is one of those allowable restrictions. In conclusion, the Michigan Court of Appeals, in an unpublished opinion, which merely means it has minimal precedential value, has ruled the felon in possession statute is constitutional under the Michigan State Constitution. And that's going to do it for episode number 17 of the Michigan Constitution podcast. Please reach out to me. I'm at Tony Snyder on Twitter. The Michigan Constitution podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not offer legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. This podcast is hosted by Tony Snyder. For more information, visit TonySnyder.com send an email to podcast at tonysnyder.com or follow Tony on Twitter at Tony Snyder. Catch new episodes on the 1st and 15th of each month. Thanks for listening.